We, uh, we've been talking about evangelism, and part of that, when Kyle and I were talking about it, we wanted to put uh, a Sunday on spiritual warfare. And um, I believe we all can agree that spiritual warfare is a pretty broad <clears throat> subject. And we're not going to cover it in the moments we have here today, but, but you know, I'm kind of like one of those TV evangelists. I have it on CD. So, you know, just go to my website. You can buy one. You know, no, I don't. Just kidding you. Um, but uh, when we, uh, let's open up in prayer. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you uh, for uh, this subject, spiritual warfare, that uh, there is no way that we can cover this in the short amount of time we have today. But uh, we pray that you would just give us uh, uh, the the cleft note version, so to speak. But Lord, may you just uh, lay it upon our heart how important it is to, uh, through your scripture, through your truth, that we can win, Lord. And we have already won because when you went to the cross and uh, died and rose again, you, uh, uh, you had victory and we have victory over sin. In Christ's name, amen. So when I say warfare, what would your first reaction be? When you think of warfare, what do you think of? Israel. Pardon? What's going on in Israel and Ukraine? Yeah. It's a terrible thing. Okay. Um, so from a worldview or from our view, secular view, we would say it's not a good thing. Right? But when I say, and, and I, I thought this was interesting, um, I went to the internet, because we know the internet's always right, correct? In, uh, here's warfare They're on the internet. Engagement in or the activities involved in war or conflict. What's your point is? Okay. So when I say spiritual warfare, what's your first reaction? I think it's a no-holds-barred type of activity between the forces of good and evil, battling in our soul and in the world and, you know, in a number of different levels or realms. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm going to give you the Internet definition, okay? Spiritual warfare is the Christian thought of fighting against the work or forces of evil spirits and demons. And Steve just said uh, something a little bit. And if we go back to uh, Ephesians 6.12, it talks about uh, in 6.12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the uh, in heavenly places. So Steve's point was that, what he just made that comment, was that it, it's in the spiritual realm, okay? But here's an interesting thing. If you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, here's an interesting thought. You don't have to go there. If you don't want to, I'll read it. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. 
We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive. Okay? So, we would all agree, I'm, I'm assuming, I'm not trying to speak for you, but could we all agree that uh, um, each day, each moment could be a war, so to speak, could be a battle of our mind and our heart. Uh, okay, so, but we know that God and Satan are not equal. We agree with that? Okay. Um, if we're a believer and we're on the side of Jesus Christ, Christ has already won the war. And if you're if a, and a demons are on the side of Satan, who lost this war at Calvary when Christ died and rose again. So when we are tempted, okay, what is, and I'm gonna I, I want you to just suggest things because I want to write them on the board. Okay. Uh, when we're tempted, okay, and um, what would be uh, a phrase or a comment that we would make? Um, I'm tempted. Uh, uh, I uh, that we could hear of a comment. Like, for instance, uh, we're going to talk about Eve here from Genesis three in just a little bit. So we know that Eve and uh, Adam and Eve were told not to eat of a certain tree, correct? Okay. So Eve was tempted by the serpent, and she ate of that fruit of the tree. So sometimes, I know you in this room are not like this, uh, in my humanness, when I hear of someone, could be Eve in the Bible, could be someone I know that has sinned, that has fallen, Sometimes my first reaction is, well, they deserve it because they didn't walk that close with God. Or, you know, it's a terrible thing that person did, sinning against their wife or doing this, stealing or whatever. Uh, you know, unfortunately, sometimes in my humanness, I, I want to be accusatory towards that person. So uh, when, I th when you think about... Uh, I mean, I, I came across this, and I thought it was pretty good. Uh, someone we know that's sinned, that's supposedly a Christian. Oh, well, that person really wasn't a Christian. Someone uh, says, well, I pray about this point all the time, but my prayers uh, must just be bouncing off the ceiling. How about this one? Have you ever heard this one? When you're in a conversation with somebody? Oh, reading our Bible is a waste of time. Ever heard that one? Oh, you've committed an unforgivable sin. Things are so bad, they're never going to change. I remember when I was in business, I had employees that would say, oh, you know, I've been like this forever, and it's so bad, I can't ever change. We've heard that, haven't we? From a neighbor, from a from a family member, from you know, uh, 
Here's a good one. If God really loves you, then why doesn't he help you? We've heard that one, haven't we? Maybe I might have even used that one myself at times. Christians are all fakes, so stay away from them. Have you heard some of those? Any other ones that you might have heard that you like to suggest? Devil made me do it. Devil made me do it. <laughs> Flip Wilson, we're all in this room, we know Flip Wilson. He used to say that quite often in this uh, TV show, didn't he? What's the one thing in all of, I don't know all of you personally, but I think all of us in this room have had children. What's the hardest thing to, in your mind, to get children to understand uh, between right and wrong? Do they understand it? I used to always think, you know, of course, you know, uh, in our home, our two boys, of course, Karen and I are Christians. You know, they're being raised in a Christian home. They're going to a Christian church. And they're going to Peoria Christian School. Well, they would know right and wrong. You know, right? I mean, wrong. pardon? Wrong. Wrong. You know, that doesn't... Uh, so let's see. See, let me top this off. Let me add another one to that. Why our boys should have known right and wrong. Both my parents and Karen's parents are believers. So their grandparents are believers. So, but as we well know, all of us, what's the Bible say about our heart? Desperately wicked. And who can know? Above all things. Yes. I mean, so... Here I am as an adult thinking, I'm trying to tell my two boys right and wrong. But I can't even get right and wrong right, right? Because what Steve just said about what that scripture in the Bible says. Okay? So, so as Christians we know that we can have victory over the world and the flesh and the devil because of him. And because of our union with Jesus Christ. Okay? And the power they promised. Luke 10, verses 18 through 20 says, And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall hurt you. Verse 20, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So with that verse, the question comes to my mind, why do we fear? Why do we run and hide sometimes? Because we have victory according to these verses. We have authority to tread on serpents and scorpions over the powerful enemy. Do we think sometimes that spiritual warfare is just a New Testament thing? Do you ever think that? Do you ever think it's just a New Testament thing? Huh? If you go back to 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 15 through 17, 
Elisha's servant back there says this. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city, surrounded the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Verse 16 goes on to say, And he said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So that the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountains were full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha and his servant. So the servant saw the horses and chariots around the city, but what did God do? He opened his eyes to see the mountain full of horses, chariots, and fire of all around all Elisha. We also find it in Daniel in the Old Testament. In Daniel 10, uh, verses 10 through 21, and I'm not going to read that whole portion, but verse 12 says, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourselves before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. And if we took time to go back in there and read those verses, uh, I'll just highlight verse 10. Verse 10 says that Daniel was trembling on my hands and knees and very fearful. But what's interesting about that, if we go on down to verse 19 of that chapter 10 of Daniel, it says, O man, greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. That's courageous faith, right? I don't have to be fearful in verse 10. Or he was fearful. I'm sorry. He was fearful in verse 10. But on down in verse 19. Fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. So the Old Testament and the New Testament both have the same thing. I'm going to tell you a quick story as we're talking about spiritual warfare. I'm going to tell you a couple stories. As Scott Cruzy, that's sitting up here on the second row, can tell you, in our friendship, Scott can attest to, I tell a lot of stories. Wouldn't you tell me, would you say that, Scott? Okay, I love to tell stories. Uh, and I was told by a friend of Karen, my wife, who went to North Park College together at the time, that became a very uh, good Christian storyteller, that every story is embellished. I said, wasn't well, that like untrue? No, 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 no. It's embellished. So I'm going to tell you a story about spiritual warfare that's in our home. Our son Jonathan <clears throat> went to Olivet. At the end of his first year, uh, he had a, a, a friend at Olivet that uh, was heavy into uh, Benny Hinn. We all know who Benny Hinn is. Benny Hinn is a uh, uh, prosperity, uh, ask and you will receive, no matter what it is. Okay? So Benny Hinn has these weekend meetings in hotels and places all over the country. Well, this friend at Olivet asked Jonathan to go to spend a few days right after Olivet got out for the uh, summer after his freshman year in college. So, you know, 19, 20 years old, what do you say? You know, okay, 
It's your money, go. So he went, okay? And uh, he calls about two or three days later and says, I'm actually staying in a bedroom in Benny Hen's house in Southern California, okay? Now, the story relates to spiritual warfare. When he called us that particular night, like I said, second or third night he was there, he talked about the things that were sinful going on in that house. Okay? Uh, sex, drugs, alcohol. Uh, Benny Hinn had his girlfriend in one bedroom and his wife was in another bedroom. I'm not going to go into more details than that because I don't want to get... It's not about that. And so we prayed with Jonathan that night over the phone. Karen and I did. And we went to bed. And about 4, 35 o'clock in the morning, Jonathan called again. He said, I know it's early. He said, this is just, and he described some other things that were going on in that house. And I remember Karen and I got down on, the, on our knees by our bed and started praying. And we had Jonathan on the phone. And for some reason, he said to us, well, you know it's the Holy Spirit speaking to him. Uh, he said, I'm going to leave right now. And we said, well, I mean, do you know the area? Do you, you know, where could you go? He goes, I don't know, but I need to get out of this house right now. And within about 20 minutes later, he called us again, and he was at this, I think it was a hotel that he had walked to from Bidding's house. And he said, of course, he had no, I think he had a credit card, I can't remember. But anyway, he checked in. He said the first thing he wanted to do was take a shower. Because he felt, you know, just dirty. Uh, we bought a plane ticket and got him back here. And he told us, and here's a 19, 20-year-old kid talking about the warfare that was going on in that house. And it was just a, it was so vivid, you know, and I think, wow, here is supposedly, and again, I'm not trying to be judgmental. I don't know Benny Hinn other than what I've heard and read, okay? Uh, but it's just hard, it was hard for me to understand when Jonathan got home and telling us the stories that were going on in that house, how that could be a Christian influence speaker that's going around the country. But I only share that story in the fact that we're talking about Spirit 4, but we're talking about we, had, we saw victory in our son's life over spiritual warfare in that particular moment. And it was vivid, okay, in his life. Very vivid, okay? But the point is, of sharing that story with you, I, I want to go on and, and you know, Spiritual warfare, I think, in my mind, in my opinion, as I've just been around it, looked at it in the past, read some books about it. Uh, my favorite book is a guy by the name of Dr. Carl Payne, P-A-Y-N-E. And he has a book out called Spiritual Warfare. Uh, and it's just, I just think it's extremely good. I've read it a number of times. Um, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that later. Okay, but let's go on to this. Uh, 
Because we have the victory in Jesus Christ over sin and temptations before. Romans 8.31. We've heard that verse before. Okay, what then shall we say these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Okay, uh, Romans 8, 37, 39. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So again, if God is for us, who can be against us? Okay, even Jesus acknowledged the reality of spiritual warfare. Uh, you know, uh, Matthew 4, 1 through 12, the temptation of Jesus. You know, uh, Matthew 17, 4 through, uh, 14 through t 20. You know, it talks about Jesus heals a boy with a demon. You know, so, you know, Jesus dealt with it. Luke 13, 11 through 27, the lady, the, that, uh, the disabling uh, lady that had that spirit, you know, he threw it out. I mean, Paul dealt with it in 2 Corinthians uh, 11. Uh, Peter deals with it in 1 Peter 5, 6, and, 6 through 9. You know, so, and uh, that, that 1 Peter 5, 8 is so, one of my favorite verses, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But again, we have the authority over sin and temptation of the demons. We have that promise from Romans 8, 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? No. We have the promise in 1 John 4, 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Isn't that a great promise? He who is in me is stronger than what's in the world. 1 John 2.16 For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from this world. God creates, created the world. It's not from that world. So, I want to just hit on three areas real quick within this spiritual warfare. Because as we said earlier, Spiritual warfare is so broad, uh, I, I, don't, I, I don't have time to go into all of it and uh, don't want to. But uh, again, uh, you can buy the uh, CD, right? That my wife will sell to you. Anyway, no. So let's break, I want to break down um, the, uh, the spiritual warfare just in three things. I want to break it down in lust of the flesh. Okay, lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Okay, and so what I want to say about the lust of the flesh is anything that appeals to our fleshly desires. It could be alcohol, it could be smoking, it could be food. Uh, I have a friend that I love who was my basketball coach in high school, and I've remained friends with him for, for years. Scott Cruzy knows him, and... Uh, so Scott can relate to the story a little bit, only in the fact he knows my friend. When you talk about lust of the flesh, this friend would admit his lust of the flesh is food. He's got all kinds of health issues because he eats all the time. And he eats the wrong stuff all the time. And I'm serious about eating all the food. I've been, I eat lunch with him twice a week or twice a month. 
And I, time and time again, he will order the largest order of French fries. And I've also seen him order another set of order of French fries when he leaves to eat in the car or eat at home or whatever. Uh, so, I mean, the lust of the, of the flesh can be a lot of things. I mean, all those things, but food is one of them. But here's an interesting thought. Galatians 5, 19 through 23, but especially verses 19 through 21, really list, has a pretty good list of the flesh and what controls it. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, therefore, that these who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So when I read those things, and those words, that's a pretty good list of the sins of the flesh. And again, I may look at Eve and say, well, that's a terrible thing, how she could do that back in Genesis 3. But then I look at some of these words on here, and I have to admit, I've had impurity, I've had sensuality, I've had jealousy, Envy. I probably have had fits of anger. Dissensions, divisions. You know, I mean, so here I stand, and I'm sharing with you, and we're talking about spiritual warfare, and I know God's forgiven me, because He says in 1 John 1, 9, if you confess my sins... He is faithful and just to forgive my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. But then I know in my Christian walk, I've done these things. You know, I've had jealousy. Any number of them, maybe not all of them, but I've had quite a few of them. You know? Um, but here's the good news. In that same chapter, Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. We could probably all say it by heart, couldn't we? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, such things there is no law. Wow. Isn't that loving instruction from our Jesus? You know, we are commanded to walk control. Filled by the Spirit... Refuse to be controlled or mastered by anything other than Jesus Christ. You know, I probably have told you this story before, but it bears sharing with you again. I have a great father, earthly father. He's gone, passed on in heaven, but I had a great dad. Seriously, people, I don't ever remember my dad being angry. I, I remember my dad being someone that loved me, that was kind to me, 
that was gentle to me? I mean, I, I, I don't mean to put my dad on a pedestal, but I, my dad was such a gentle man. And my dad was a superintendent of manufacturing at Caterpillar. And I had a 26-month career at Caterpillar, and I hated every minute of it. The reason I didn't like it is I'm a nonconformist. I don't like rules. And, of course, Caterpillar is all about rules, process, and procedures. Okay, But in that 26 months, I ran into people when they found out my last name, they would say, you're Raleigh Hutchison's son. Yeah. He is a great manager. I had one lady tell me one time that my dad was the type of person that had his arm around her and kicking her in the rear end at the same time. And that's an epitome. That's my dad. I remember my dad being times I had done things. And he would instruct me and love me, discipline me, but he'd love me. So when I think of gentleness, self-control, wow. Lust of the flesh. Let's move on to lust of the eyes. Okay? So the lust of the eyes squarely focuses upon our desires to have beautiful things. Nothing wrong with beautiful things. But when we believe that those things bring us what? Contentment? So, um, I want to be very clear. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes are both external desires. We've all have desires, right? I want to have this or I want to have that. There's nothing, again, there's nothing wrong with having those things. It, as you well know, all of us, we're old enough, we sit here, we know that those things can possess us, can't they? and take our hearts this way, okay? Take our focus off things. To me, my hardest thing when it comes to my eye gate, and men are eye gate. That's the way we're wired. That TV screen, the computer monitor, the billboard, selling that Captain Crunch. Mmm, that looks so good. Why do they make food look so good in a TV commercial. Can you tell me why? Why do I see a commercial for uh, a bacon and egg muffin from McDonald's, but when I go to McDonald's, it doesn't look like that? Or maybe it doesn't even taste like that. Maybe? <laughs> what I think it tastes like? I mean, why does it do that? Why does that commercial that I see on that screen for that lottery ticket, uh, uh, that home, that car, that clothing. Why is it some reason in my mind it says I need that, I deserve that, I can be content with that. Oh, if I only had that, man, would that be great. Now, I know the guys in this room would never have this problem. Okay, but I, uh, when I was in college, there was a girl in, that lived near us whose parents' family owned a car dealership in Springfield, Illinois. And when we were in college, she drove, always drove a new car, and I think, I may be, I, 
I'm going to embellish this part of the story. It's probably not true, but the point is, my point is, I thought she drove a new car every month. Probably didn't, but I, she drove a new car, you know, with dealer license plates a lot. And I used to always want to hang out with her. I used to always want to ask her for a ride. And I went to Navigators, and she went to Navigators in college, so I would always try to get a ride with her. Okay, and it was so much being with her. It was just like, well, I wanted to ride in this new car. I wanted to be in this new car. I, I, it, my heart was like, I want that new car. Okay, but in reality, it's anything, isn't it? You know, I have a sister in East Peoria that's a great sister, but I was talking to her yesterday, and her her love is her roses. I mean, I think she spent, I'm exaggerating it now, embellishing. I'm sorry, not exaggerating, embellishing. Seriously, I think she talked about her roses for 30 minutes yesterday. That's her love. I'm not saying I don't have love for things. I mean, I hung out with Scott Cruzy Friday night at a high school football game, and our love is sports, you know. But, you know, we can, our eyes are, pardon? You're, I enjoy sports. You Embellish in it. I love sports. <laughs> I've got to watch myself. Too. Yeah. Uh, but uh, our, our, my point is, you know, beauty, what's the old saying? Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. You know, so we all see things as beautiful whether it's my sister having a rose or my desire to look at those new cars years ago. You know, or it could be a, a painting, or it could be a house, a boat, a car. What's the old saying that we probably have all heard about a boat owner? His two favorite days or his two best days or what? When he buys one and then when he sells. sells it. Yes. And we probably all maybe have known people like that, right? <laughs> um, so no matter what, it's a constant battle, isn't it, with the eyes? Isn't it? I mean, there's beautiful things out there, and we they look nice, especially for us men. You know, uh, it's out there. Someone else has it. Why don't I have it? I have to have it. I want it. I can't be happy until I have it. Okay? You ever had that? You know? Kind of like that. Again, going back to what I said about the eyes. See that commercial on TV? But that Captain Crunch, I like Captain Crunch cereals. So, uh, well, isn't that bowl of Captain Crunch on that TV commercial doesn't look as good as the one on my table? You know? Why doesn't that, like I said, why didn't I, when I drive through that drive through at McDonald's to get that egg sandwich, why didn't it look as good as that TV commercial? You know, eye gate, right? I want that, I want that, I want that. Let's just hit on the, uh, the third one is the pride of life. Okay? Uh, and, uh, you know, really uh, in uh, f- uh, 1 John uh, 2.16, uh, you know, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Again, it's the world, you know, that we battle, okay, every day, okay? I'm not going to go there, but in Luke 12, uh, I do want to go there. I am going to go there. I'm going to go to Luke uh, 
uh, 12, uh, 30, 13 through 31. Because I want to, I do want to read this, okay? Because it just, to me, it just speaks volume about contentment, okay? So here we go. Uh, Luke 12, 13 through 21. So someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in all in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plenty, plentifully, I'm sorry. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of treasure for yourself, required of you, I'm sorry, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. You know, what I find interesting about the portion of Scripture is how many times does the word I come up? You know, I have nowhere to store my crops. I will do this. I will tear down my barns. I will store all my grain. I will say to my soul, you know, this parable is of a very successful farmer. Nothing wrong with that. But as his fields increased in production, so the size of his barn. So he apparently thought he was pretty successful, right? Maybe he got the Farmer of the Year award, okay, from the FFA. I don't know. But verse 19 says he relaxed, eat, drink, and be merry. So we all know, we're all old enough in this room to know that the world's perspective is success, right? But what's the eternal perspective of that? The eternal, the eternal perspective of that, being successful in the world's eyes like this man was, he was spiritually bankrupt. What was he going? I want to relax, I want to eat, I want to drink, I want to be merry. Okay. What do we know uh, what God, what Christ tells us in His Word? The greatest of these is the least of thee. Whoever is first will be what? Last. Whoever is last will be first. You know, the greatest leader is a servant to all. You know, it's interesting. I don't know if any of you remember. Uh, there was a past president of Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, Dr. Joel Stoll. And I heard him say this one time. Biblically speaking, success is the faithful accomplishment of a stewardship granted from God for service to others. Hmm. Faithful accomplishment of a stewardship granted from God for service to others. So, and we all know that everything we have comes from God's hand, doesn't it? Do I produce anything? No. It comes from God. 
So too much is given, much will be expected. Now, I talked about Eve. I want to go back to Genesis 3, and I want to read these verses of uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Okay? And this is that conversation that Eve is having with the serpent there in the garden. Okay? And it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may not eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the servant said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired, who was with and let me go back there, I'm sorry. The tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some of her hus to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. You know, so again, we talked about the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, uh, the pride of life. Think about this. The tree was what? Good for food. Right? That's what she was uh, told by the serpent. Her eyes, the lust of the eyes, saw that fruit as being good. That was a delight to the eyes. Okay? But it was also a delight to the eyes that she was prideful thinking, well, I can be like God. If I eat that fruit, I can be like God. Here she was a she also in the pride of life, she also thought, I can be so wise. I can be like God. See how Satan works? He works that way in us. Again, we go back to 1 John 2, okay, that I read earlier. It's that external things. And, and, you know, I just want to leave you with some encouragement. 1 John 4, 4. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. We were uh, kidding earlier. I don't know if we were kidding. We were talking about Ephesians 6, 10 through 20 earlier uh, before we started. The home of salvation. The sword of the Spirit. You know, the shield of faith. You know, we, we were talking about all those things, you know, and we think... Wow, you know how we got. Um, you know, I leave you with two stories, and these are true stories, and I'm not going to embellish these stories. Okay, so I don't share this lightly with you. Uh, the only one in this room that knows this story is Scott Cruzy. It's an ugly story, but. Uh, it's a story that God made beautiful. 
in my personal life. Um, I'm not gonna tell you what the details, but I'm gonna tell you uh, a time in my life where I uh, got, I was in an addiction. And um, there's a ministry called uh, Freedom in Christ Ministries. If you've ever heard the, of the author, Neil Anderson, uh, he has written books, Victory Over the Darkness, uh, several others, forgive me. I can't remember the other ones, but Victory Over the Darkness is the one that means the most to me. Uh, I had an addiction that went on for two and a half to three years. And... Um, my wife confronted me, and uh, I was put under church discipline when we were attending Grace Church in Morton. Uh, I, I had this book given to me by Neil Anderson, Victory Over the Darkness. And one of the things in Freedom in Christ ministry, they have a program you can go through. And uh, the closest program uh, that they had was in Minneapolis. And uh, you have to apply, you get interviewed, they call your wife, they call your pastor at your church. And so I went to Minneapolis. And there's a church up there that does this program. And, and it's, uh, Neil Anderson is a firm believer, if you ever read any of his books, that there is spiritual warfare. It's not, it's blatant, it's obvious and uh, it can tear us apart. And this particular situation tore me apart to the point that I had to go to Minneapolis. I went into Minneapolis, and it's an all-day Saturday thing. They tell you, come with a change of clothes, come with food, come with water. Um, we're going to start at 9 o'clock in the morning, and it could take us whatever time it takes. And you go into a room with two men, one man is asking you questions. The other man is just praying all the time. Just praying all the time. And you can get up and walk around this room. But the point is, um, it took me about five to six hours that day. To, to Okay. And I remember one time, somewhere in this thing, the man that was praying stood up and he said to me, and said to the other man, he goes, you are lying. Satan has you right now. We are in a spiritual warfare in this room. And one of the men left and went and got an elder from the church, and they came in. So all three men put their hands on me and prayed. And I remember vividly, I was sitting on a chair, and I went to the floor on my knees. Then I went and laid flat on my stomach, stretched out. And I remember they were praying that uh, the power of God over me, that Satan would leave me and leave that room. And I remember laying on the floor, starting to shake and starting to sweat. And I got up eventually, and my, so my clothes were soaking wet. But I remember feeling a freedom like I had never felt before. You know, and that's a personal story. It's a true story. And so when we talk about spiritual warfare and is it real, is it true, does it affect you? I can tell you, in my personal experience, I've been delivered from uh, spiritual warfare with Satan, from, 
from Satan through Jesus Christ. And that story I told you earlier about our son Jonathan in California, that's a personal experience that he had that his mother and I were involved in, and he had victory over it. So I hope that's an encouragement to you as we close this morning, that there is victory in Jesus Christ over sin, over Satan, over the spiritual warfare that we must go through, unfortunately, <laughs> daily, moment by moment. You know, um, the eye gate, we all had it. And, you know, unfortunately, I know I can walk out this door this morning and, you know, be tempted to do something that, you know, is not godly. So, but we have victory, right? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Father God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this, these verses. Hopefully, Lord, this was an encouragement to each one of us today that our victory is in you, not in a person, not in things, nothing else but you, Lord. Lord, it's so hard to keep our eyes focused on you. May you just help us, strengthen us, encourage us, keep us as your promises throughout the word, Lord are so good to us. Thank you, Lord. Bless us as we go out this day and this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Very good. Oops. Nice to meet you, Scott. The first name, Ted. Ted, Ted, talk. Talk it's just a, but, but, wait a minute, Ted. See, I have learned that I'm not home. Ted, this is church. We're not advertising this. Yeah, I'll get my card. Have a good day. Have a good week. Hey, there's that guy. How you been? Good job, brother. Hey, so.